that we believe that all healings from God, whether it's doctors, medication, supernatural, instantaneously, the process, God uses all of those vehicles and avenues to heal people. And we're we're not uh, we. <laughs> We're not the type of people that believe that uh, God doesn't use doctors and physicians and medication. He uses it all to bring healing. So if you don't have that outline, it's back there, and we can get one for you. Uh, If you don't mind, Shane, would would be okay? Just raise your hand, and Shane will uh, bring one. We need someone who needs it up here, Shane. <laughs> She's going. Okay, if you have your Bibles, turn with me to Matthew chapter 5. Matthew chapter 5. And as I said, we're, we've got a number of scripture references, and I won't be turning in my Bible to every single scripture reference because I have it right here in my message notes. But this evening, I just want to read a couple of scriptures. Matthew chapter 5, and we're going to be looking at verses uh, uh, 23 and 24. Matthew chapter 5, 23 and, and 24. Um, Therefore, if you offer your gift at the altar, and there remember that your brother has something against you, this is Jesus speaking, you're to leave your gift there in front of the altar. First go and be reconciled to your brother, then come and offer your gift. N- now notice, settle matters quickly with your adversary who is taking you to court. Do it while you are still with him on the way, or he may hand you over to a judge, and the judge may hand you over to the officer and may be thrown into prison. We're going to be talking about that in just a moment. And then turn over to 1 Peter chapter 3, verse 7. 1 Peter chapter 3, verse 7. And notice it says, um, just, I'll give you just a minute, turn over there. 1 Peter chapter 3, verse 7. Say amen when you're there. Okay. Husbands, in the same way, be considerate as you live with your wives and treat them with respect as the weaker partner and as heirs with you of the gracious gift of life so that what? So that nothing will hinder your prayers. Lord, I'm asking this evening that as I share uh, this message that you'd help me to be articulate, help me to be the point, and help me to uh, just help me, Lord. We need your help. In Jesus Christ's name we pray. Amen. Now, many teenagers, when they turn 16 years of age, they have one thing that they want to do. When I was 16, I had one thing I wanted to do. When you were 16, you had one thing you wanted to do. And you know what that was? What was it? Get a driver's license. To get a driver's license. Okay. There's always the exceptions. I've heard of people out in Timbuktu have gotten their license, a temporary or a special one, when they're 14. Ever hear of that? Out on a farm someplace? But when I was 16 years old, I wanted to get my driver's license. And I talked about my driving instructor this morning, but his name was Mr. Sells. And really, he was about this tall, he was about this wide, and he was a jolly-go-lucky, except when he got behind the, the wheel to train people how to drive. And then he would drink gallons of coffee, and he would take gallons of Tums, and I acids, and I acids. And he would do this the whole time while he was driving with his students. Now, I went... I, I, I went through the driver safety course and went through with Mr. Sells past that, but I had one hurdle left. You know what that was? You know what it is? Well, not only that, but, but what it's a major hurdle. My mother and father, my mom and dad, 
And I have noticed over the years that this is a good opportunity to have a heart-to-heart with your kid, isn't it? When they're ready to get their driver's license. And what do you say? What do you typically say? I want you to do this, and I want you to do this, and I want you to do this, and I want you to raise up your grades, or I want you to maintain a GPA, and I want you to become more responsible, and then we'll talk about it. Then we'll see... We'll see, if you do all these things, we'll see. And what we're doing is, as parents, we're putting conditions upon our kids to get their driver's license, to get their license. Now, what is true, what is true in approaching parents about a driver's license is also true in approaching God with a prayer request. It is also true with approaching God with a prayer request. The Bible indicates that God cannot answer our prayer. He may hear our prayers, but God cannot answer our prayer uh, if there aren't certain conditions met. There has to be conditions, and there are hindrances to having our prayers answered. And, and, and let me just put you at ease. The Bible indicates that God wants to and God delights in hearing the prayers of his children. Did you hear what I said? God delights and he wants to hear the prayers of his children. He wants to answer the prayers of his children. But as much as God delights in hearing our prayers, he cannot and he will not answer them unless there are certain conditions that are removed and unless we understand that there are hindrances to God answering prayers. What are these conditions and what are these hindrances? First of all, Unconfessed sin hinders our prayer. Unconfessed sin hinders our prayer. And that's the easy one. I want you to listen to what the psalmist, the psalmist, the psalmist rejoiced that God had heard his prayer, but he reminds all, uh, what would have caused the Lord not to listen to him. He said in Psalm 66, this is Psalm 66, and I think the reference is right in your message notes. I cried out to the Lord with my mouth. His praise was on my tongue. And then he goes on, listen to this. But if I cherished sin in my heart, the Lord would not have listened. If I have sin in my heart, the Lord will not listen. Now, we know the antidote to what sin, with unconfessed sin. We know the antidote to that, and that's First John 1, 9. If we confess our sins, he's faithful and just to forgive us of our sins. But you'd be surprised when I'm talking with individuals and I am talking with people how uh, we talk about this particular subject, and I said, have you come clean before the Lord? Are you clean in every single area of your life? Are you doing the things that God wants you to do? And uh, how people will tell me, well, no, I'm not, not in this area, not in this area, whatever. As a child of God, we must remain in fellowship with him. And Jesus said, if you remain in me, I'll remain in you. He also said, if you abide in me, I'll abide in you. So, uh, so we have to keep short accounts with God and, and quickly confess the sin that's in our life so that nothing can come up between us and the Lord. Now, um, I haven't been around Grant County that long, but I know you have the same problems here. Maybe not. <laughs> Maybe you don't have the same problems here as they have in California. But I'm pretty sure that you cannot go in any of the mountains around here in any stream and just drink out of the stream. You can't do that, right, around here? In other words... In other words, they tell you you're, you're risking getting some sort of illness if you drink directly from a stream, as clear as the water may be. And the reason why is because there's water-borne illnesses like Girardia and, and those kinds of things. And uh, they, they cause severe stomach cramps and, and high fever, untreated water, cramping, high fever, hospitalization. Now, uh, the Bible says that if we confess our sins, he's faithful and just 
to forgive us of our sins and to purify. That word purify is there. And like a purification process of this mountain water that it has to go through, either through boiling or through the putting those tablets of iodine in the water or whatever it may be, there's a purification process that has to occur and has to happen. And this must be an ongoing basis. If there's any impurity in our life, it's going to hinder our prayers. It will hinder our prayers. Second, number two, broken relationships hinder our prayers. You say, what are you talking about, Pastor Ron? Well, broken relationships hinder our prayers. In other words, if we've done something against someone and we know that they've got something against us, we've done, we've done something against them and, 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 and we don't make it right. In order for God to hear our prayers, we not only must have a right relationship with him, but we must have a right relationship with our brothers and sisters and our husbands and our wives and all other people. And you know, there's a, there's a dark warning here that I read in 1 Peter chapter 3, verse 7. It says that we must live with our wives in a respectful way. Isn't that interesting? We must live with our wives in a respectful way, the context, in a loving way, in a considerate way, or, or, I mean, so that nothing will hinder our prayers. Now, he specifically tells that to fellas in the context, I think, is for ladies as well. But isn't that interesting? Men, specifically as husbands, it says that you must live with your wife in an understanding way, a considerate way, or it will hinder your prayers. There's a hindrance there. And uh, when you look at the original language there, he's really saying in an understanding way, a considerate way, in a way that... Um, doesn't put your wife down in a way that uh, you're not selfish, in a way that you're loving and you're supportive, in a a way that is very um, selflessness, selfless. So as husbands and wives, we have to live together with mutual sensitivity, honoring and cherishing and loving and mutual care. Now, as you know, there will be arguments and disagreements, but any harsh words, any wrong attitudes you better take care of it and keep short accounts because God says that it will hinder our prayers. The same thing with our children. Um, The same thing with our friends. The same things with our church family, our our work associates. I read that passage of Scripture. Jesus said in Matthew chapter 22, 23 and 24 that if if we're worshiping and we remember that we've got something against somebody else and, uh, and we're at odds with them, they're at odds with us, we're to leave... Our worship, right away, Jesus said, and we're going to go to that person and and we're to make it right. We're to do something about it. Leave our worship and go to them. Now, I say this tongue-in-cheek on Sunday morning, and I don't think I've ever had anyone do it, but I've said it before, but right before we take communion, it's a good time to examine yourself. And I, I have to say, you know, make sure that you have a right relationship with God and other people. And if you need to use my telephone in my office... You're welcome to it. No one has ever taken me up on it yet. But you understand what I'm trying to say. You, you, we have to have not only on the vertical plane, but we also have to have on the, on the horizontal plane. It affects and hinders our, our, our prayers. Well, one Christian author wrote this, and I'm quoting. The other day, we had a difficult morning at home. Speaking about his family life. Everything broke loose. 
we couldn't get the kids to school on time, and my wife was crying, and the kids were crying, and I felt like crying because I was the cause of most of it. He's honest. Ever been there? Absolutely. And listen to what this man did, quoting again. They all left, and I was there alone, and I sat down, and I wrote my wife a note. Darling, I just want to thank you for all that you mean to me in my life, for handling the numerous details that you uh, that free me so I can do all the things I have to do. You never know, you'll never know what your life means to me. I admire you, and I need you, and I love you. And um, please forgive me. Forgive me. Now, what did this lady do in response to this note that this man wrote? <laughs> did she get angry? Did she get upset? Uh, did she throw it away? She hugged him and kissed him. And they were reconciled. I'm just asking this, these questions. And you have to answer these questions. But when was the last time, and you know it, you wrote a note to somebody or you pulled somebody aside or you called somebody and said, I said something that wasn't just right. I, did, I said it with the wrong tone, the wrong attitude, the wrong way. And they may not have even known it, but you knew. Broken relationships hinder our prayers. Don't let 24 hours go without being reconciled with another person. The third thing that hinders our prayers is uh, uh, selfishness. Now, selfishness in giving hinders our prayers. You say, selfishness in giving hinders our prayers. I want you to listen to Proverbs 21.3. This is what we read. If a man um, shuts his ears to the cry of the poor, he too will cry out and not be answered. If we live for material things, this is a modern day translation of Proverbs 21.3, if we live for material things and fail to share our prosperity with the needy and with his kingdom interests, the Lord will close his ears to our prayers. Now, the question is, do we give graciously and freely to others and to the work of of the Lord? Are we robbing God of tithes and offering to belong to Him and of giving graciously to other people that need it, that cross our paths? I had a leader, a district leader, one time, I heard him say, that there's a special place in my billfold that I wad up a hundred dollar bill and I put it in this special place and I'm praying the whole time, Lord, if there's anybody that needs this hundred dollars more than I do, help me to be sensitive and help me to be able to give graciously to that person. And he said, you'd be surprised of how many times the Lord taps me on the shoulder and I'll just give a $100 bill to somebody. You say, Pastor Ron, can people abuse that? Absolutely. 
But it's worth the worth the risk, I think, especially if we feel the the the, the strings of our heart being tugged. The one person that taught me more about this was my own dad. My dad was a logger, and he drove a logging truck for all his life, his whole career. And the way I liken it to is that he loved driving that logging truck almost more than anything else in the whole world. He drove until he was in his 70s. And every day he'd get up, and he was so excited to be on the road. I don't know why. I can imagine those people that drive logging trucks, more power to them. I think they should get double the pay. Can you imagine driving in a logging truck all day long, bouncing over all those roads, going in all those conditions every day, in and out, in and out, early in the morning, late at night, early in the morning, late at night, all those hours beating yourself to death, and that, the roar of that logging truck, and he's as deaf, stone deaf as you could imagine for, for all those years. But he loved it. I felt, I think it was like as though my dad was felt like he was one of those cowboys. And he was in a Louis L'Amour novel. And he could get out there in the woods and he could get out there in the forest by himself and driving along there and all the beauty of God's creation. That's the way he looked at it. Anyway, my dad, whenever he felt the, the tug strings on his heart, he would pick up hitchhikers. He would pick up so-called hippies back in the era. He would pick up all kinds of individuals and people. He would stop at restaurants. He would stop at truck stops. He would, you know, all these different routes and whatever it may be. He was always doing this. That's something that people not re- re- may not realize about my dad because he was quiet about it. But he was constantly picking up people. And he was constantly giving them whatever they needed. He just did that. I think that selfishness in giving can hinder our prayers. Number four, unbelief. Unbelief can hinder our prayers. Unbelief. Remember what James, the brother of Jesus, said. That when we ask, this is what James said, James chapter 1, he says, we must believe and not doubt, because he who doubts is like the wave of the sea blown tossed and blown and tossed by the wind. That man should not think he receive anything from the Lord. Now, James isn't talking about having tons of faith. Jesus said, if you have the faith of a mustard seed, you have to believe with your heart that God is able and God is willing. And sometimes you can say, Lord, I don't have very much faith. Help my unbelief. And that's enough. That's enough. Faith of a mustard seed. Lord, help my unbelief. Unbelief hinders prayers. Now, we're not talking about name and claim it type of faith. But Jesus talked about the faith of a mustard seed. It simply says, you simply say, Lord, I know that you're able. This is what you pray. Lord, I know that you're able, able to do exceedingly, abundantly, above all that I can can think or ask. Now, I want to share uh, a story that I heard years ago on Focus on the Family. Focus on the Family aired an interview with Darlene Rose. She's passed away now. But a number of years ago, Darlene Rose was a missionary to a South Pacific island. And when World War II came along, she got caught behind enemy lines, and she ended up in a Japanese concentration camp. And her husband and her children were separated from one another. Can you imagine that? She's serving the Lord. She's a missionary. She's giving herself in service and sacrifice to God. And, uh, and she gets caught, and she gets thrown into this concentration camp with all of the abuses that those individuals uh, had and, and what was ha- going on. So she separated uh, from her husband, 
by her Japanese captors. And she said she hit a low point, a really, really low point. She was so depressed. She could hardly pray. And this is true. This is what she prayed in her lowest moment. She said, Lord, she cried out to God, I don't want a lot right now. But I would like to have one banana. One banana. That's all, God. I just want a banana. Please, Lord, provide a banana for me. And I can hear her voice with Dr. Dobson on the radio, breaking down and crying. And she said, 24 hours later, miraculously, I don't know how, I don't know where it came from, but I got a whole bushel full of bananas. One banana, a bushel full of bananas. Do we believe that God can provide for us? Jesus said, the basic necessity of life and I like to say cake and ice cream too sometimes. Food, clothing, shelter, all the basic necessities of life and sometimes our wants. Now I don't know who I'm talking to this evening and I don't know your predicament, I don't know your circumstance and some of us may feel up against the wall. The Bible says that we have not because we ask not. A mustard seed of faith. A lack of belief hinders our prayers. Number five, ignorance about prayer can hinder our prayers. Ignorance about prayer can hinder, excuse me, ignorance about uh, God's will can hinder. You say, what are you talking about, Pastor Ron? Well, I want you to listen. Uh, listen, the, the, the Bible places responsibility of knowing the will of God on believers. Did you know that? Let me say it again. The Bible places the responsibility of knowing the will of God on believers. The Apostle Paul wrote in Ephesians 5.17. Listen to what it says in 5.17. Write it down, Ephesians 5.17. Therefore, do not be foolish, but understand what the Lord's will is. Understand what the Lord's will is. Is it the Lord's will to save people? Absolutely. You can pray. God convict them of their sins and convince them. And you're in God's will when you pray that prayer. That's God's will for people to be saved. Is it for is it God's will for people to have the basic necessities of life? Absolutely. Matthew 6.33, Jesus said, Seek first the kingdom of God and His righteousness, and all these things will be added to food, clothing, shelter. It is absolutely God's will that He'll provide the basic necessities of life. Is it God's will for people to have peace in their lives, in their very hearts, in the midst of the circumstances of life? Yes. Peace beyond Human understanding, not peace as the world gives, Jesus said. These are God's will. Now, is it, is it uh, God's will that we pray that harm will come upon a person? No. Is it God's will uh, that we win the lotto? No, that's gambling. <laughs> Why waste your money? <laughs> Ephesians 5.17, one more time. Therefore, do not be foolish, but understand what the Lord's will is. 
This is what the Apostle Paul wrote in 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verses 9 through 12. Write it down. 1 Corinthians chapter 2, 9 through 12. This is what it says. No eye has seen, no ear has heard, no mind has conceived what God has prepared for those who love him. But God has revealed it by his Spirit. The Spirit searches all things, even the deep things of God. And for... Um, now, other, other, I've talked to you about things that are black and white. You know, God's will and God's will. Other things are not black and white. Other things are more of a gray area. And, and we have to really bear down and we have to, we have to really pray. A move, a job change, whether or not to work or stay at home, homeschooling, Christian schooling, public schooling, what to watch, what to view, what to read. Uh, uh, and just like you, years ago, I was trying to, we were trying to make a decision. We were at a crossroads. I didn't know whether I should continue pastoring in our first church or if I should continue my education, or resign and go back to school, or seek another position, or whatever it may be. And we prayed, and we prayed, and we prayed, and we prayed, and we didn't have any direction, we didn't have any clarity, whatever it may be. And then all of a sudden it became a little bit clearer. You know how that is. You're praying, you're seeking, you're abiding, you're trusting, and it becomes just a little bit clearer, and just a little bit clearer. And you take a little bit steps this way, and you take a little steps this way, and you take a little steps this way, and you're and you're sensing as God leading, and you continue to go, you know, down that pathway, down that road. And um, so I felt the Lord like give me the the green light to resign and to continue my education. But in order to resign and in order to continue my education. I had had a place to go to to continue my education, and I had to I had to have the finances, and we had to have the jobs. So what are we going to do? Well, we know where we wanted to go, and we were accepted, and we got to go there. I mean, it, it opened up, and I got accepted. We went, not having jobs. Uh, that's stretching. Not having a place to stay, um, and we were coming. You guys helped me out. I was just on that freeway this past summer, the freeway that goes all through the Columbia Gorge, 84. Thank you, Dwayne. We were coming from Missoula, Montana. We came through Spokane, and we got on 84, and we left kind of late, and so we came to Boardman. Ever been to Boardman? And we uh, we got a motel room there in Boardman. <laughs> You're gonna think this is crazy, okay? I don't know. I I don't really recommend this all the time, but so we spent the night in Boardman, and uh, we got into Milwaukee, Oregon. I was gonna go to the Western Evangelical Seminary, and we began to look for places, and I saw Boardman Avenue. And I said, honey, I wonder if there's a set of apartments up here on Boardman Avenue. And there was. And I said, you know, I wonder if we could get a good deal and if the guy would let us in without having jobs. You know, we had money in the bank, but we didn't have jobs. And the manager of the place happened to be there. And he just happened to have an apartment. And it just happened that it was a great place to live. And it just happened that Kathy got a job at uh, Portland Adventist Hospital. And it just happened that I became uh, part-time 
counselor back at the Christian college. I didn't even know about an opening. I didn't even know about a position. They weren't even advertising. I went to church one Sunday, and I met this guy who, who was an administrator, assistant administrator at this particular college I went to, and I was talking with him after church, and he said, uh, Ron, what are you doing in town? I said, we just moved back in town, and I'm looking for a job. He goes, well, there's a part-time job in admissions at Warner Pacific College, and, we, and uh, you should apply for it. I think you'd have a great shot at it. I know you. And I did, and I got the job. So we want to pray according to God's will. And uh, sometimes we know without a shadow of doubt. Other times it's things we should not pray for. Other times it's it's gray, and and we're we're praying, and we're discerning, and we're we're moving forward, and, um, and, and so on and so forth. Well... Um, number six, uh, another hindrance is a life dominated by the flesh that hinders our prayers. Now, we this 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 is what I believe, and this is what our church teaches. We believe that we can live the victorious Christian life. We can live a victorious Christian life. It doesn't mean that uh, we're gonna we're gonna have perfect performance, and it doesn't mean that we won't blow it. But we're talking about Habitual sin. I mean, we should live above habitual sin. We don't. We believe that the, that Jesus died on the cross, and because of His resurrection power, He's given us that power to live a victorious Christian life. And and therefore, you know, we don't should not be bound up in some sort of sin, habitual sin. That's the word habitual, and, and so on and so forth. Now, this is what it says in Galatians chapter five. Uh, live in the Spirit. Uh, Jesus said, abide in me, I'll abide in you. Have the this, this Spirit in your life. And the fruit of the Spirit is love and joy and peace and patience and kindness. And, else. and the context tells us in Galatians chapter 5 that when you live that way, you have life. You have life. But the fruit of the carnal nature leads to death. And uh, so you have freedom, you have life when you walk in the fruit of the Spirit. But when you walk in the carnal nature, you have death, and it hinders your prayer. So it goes back to this idea, keep short accounts uh, with the Lord. Keep short accounts with God. 